On the Empire Podcast this week, War for the Planet of the Apes star Andy Serkis plays every member of the pod team and himself and John Watts, director of Spider-Man Homecoming. What a guy. All that and more on the movie podcast. It looks great in a leotard covered with ping pong balls. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast. Uh, this week, I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning, both of whom also look great covered in balls. Uh, first up, first, <laughs> first up is our deputy editor, our national treasure, freak, Johnny Pyle. How are you? Hello, Chris. I'm well. How are you? Good, good, good. You excited by the news that Nick, Nick Cage is at large in the UK? He was in a Somerset pet store recently. I, I am excited, but that's the first I've heard about it. Really? Yeah. So this is all over the news. You can see how, exactly how excited I am right now. This is it. <laughs> wow. Yay. But it means he might be making National Treasure 3, but that's, that's near nice. Stonehenge. Why, why does it mean that? Because he's clearly on research jollies right they've now. Done, uh-huh. They've done the UK, though. Because obviously yeah, he uh, broke into Buckingham Palace yeah. in the second one. To get yes, to the did. Queen's desk. I was on set for that. Were you? Wow. I was. In Buckingham yeah. Palace. We should mention that Helen O'Hara, our geek queen, is also here. And that's, that's her voice you can hear. Uh, or is it Andy Serkis's? Or is it Andy Serkis's? This is the question I ask myself every morning. Who am I? Am I Andy Serkis? Are you Andy Serkis? I have no way of knowing. None. Quite None. frankly. No. Uh, the only way to know is to take someone by surprise. What was it like in Lord of the Rings? I wouldn't know. There you go. You're not Andy Serkis. Johnny. Yes, what thanks. was it like in the set of the World War One movie Death Watch? Who was your co-star in that film? Um, okay. Yeah, you're not Andy Serkis. It's very difficult to say. Jamie Bell. Yeah, that was my next guess. Yeah, Actually, and first guess. One of my first oh, so ever set visits for Empire. Oh. Freezing in a field in Prague in oh, November. We've all been there. We've all been there. Yeah, tough, tough times, tough times. Uh, what was I talking about? A Tintin reunion, a pre-union in Death Watch, I guess. With I Jamie know. Bell. Yeah. Yeah, I hadn't really thought of that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you were also talking about Andy Serkis. I was talking about Andy Serkis. Before that, we were probably yeah. going to do the pod. We should do the podcast, shouldn't we? Mm. We should. No, I was just saying Nicolas Cage might be... Yes. Oh, that's right. I was on set of National Treasure 2, Book of Secrets. So uh, I wasn't. You weren't. Much uh, to my disappointment. That's a point. for the um, DVD release, I went to a place that was entirely unrelated to the film and they put me in the back of a car and they said this is sort of what the route of the um, car chase would have been but here we are doing it on a wide country road but these are the right swerves oh my god but the car chase made no sense what do you mean well like they would they would be going like west in sort of Westminster and then suddenly they'd be coming west from the city like it doesn't make any sense geographically yeah. yeah I mean that's, Geographically, it's all over the place. But that happens a lot. I know it does. I mean, Thor The Dark World, everyone's happy with that, with that um, with underground that, yeah, jade. The under, well, I'm, I'm not, not, I'm happy, not happy with, with that. Oh, good, because I'm, I'm not either. But Ollie Richards, Ollie Richards is happy with it. Yeah, but that's because we have standards. He doesn't. Yeah, this is true. Good. <laughs> we should point out, Ollie does have standards. Love you, Ollie. He does. They're just quite low. So low, in fact, that you couldn't see them. Um, Subterranean, almost. Might I remind you that Ollie yes. has a cute dog that you want to meet, so you want to keep on his. Have you not met Max? No, I haven't. I've met Max. Max no is way. Great. You've met Max. Yeah, of course. How have you met Max? I thought everyone had met Max. I think yeah, I think everyone's met Max. If anyone listening to this podcast has not met Max, please write in, uh, and you can be my friend in solidarity. There is a screening this weekend at the Picture House Central of My Life as a Courgette, which is a, a wonderful little film, sixty-six minutes long, very very good. Uh, it's a dog-friendly screening, so. Uh, I'm thinking of going along with yes, my wife, and um, and just and stroking some dogs. Are you allowed to go to these things without I, dogs? Because you know, you're not you're not allowed in 
like children's playgrounds, are you, without a child? So it's I've frowned been upon. Told yes, um, but you have to take a dog to a dog screen, do you? No. I, in fact, I contacted the Picture House Central specifically and said, can I come to this even though I don't have a dog? I'm, I'm a massive dog stalker. Uh, is there any chance I could just come <laughs> in to see the dogs? You're going to see well, the dogs, not the film? Here I've is, seen the film. Here is a headline. Why are you just going Isn't to a park it? then? The, no, this is Picture, Picture House Central is encouraging dog stalkers to attend dog screenings like that. So tabloid of you. I'm not a dog it? stalker. I should, I should point this out. I am the dog whisperer. There uh-huh. are very few dogs that will not succumb to my charms. Um, a given time. That's just because you carry meat in your pockets. Well, it's been called that. <laughs> so. <laughs> what the hell? We should probably take a question. I don't know if that should be cut out or not. I like, anyway. Um, okay, so that's have a question. That's have a question. This question comes all the way from Australia. Oh. True story, Bruce. It comes from Bruce Robinson. No, Matt Robinson. Matt Robinson. Uh, no, it doesn't. It comes from Matt and Cat on Twitter. All right. comes all the way from Australia. From Matt and Cat on Twitter. And it's a long email from uh, Matt Robinson in particular, uh, who asks, he says, basically, he went to see Baby Driver at the weekend, and his uh, screen of Baby Driver was, was ruined by two inebriated men. Uh, only two? It's Australia. Uh, who's constant grumbling, talking, and general... What?! General, I've seen Wake and Fright. General obnoxiousness throughout the film was topped off by one of them throwing up twice about Ew. 30 minutes from the end of the film. Uh, when they eventually left, a staff member came in to clean things up using a torch to ensure nothing was missed. Uh, if the event and smell weren't distracting enough, the bright light illuminating a room was topped off, uh, ruining the film for us. Um, they got a full refund. That's good to know. Uh, but it eventually brings Matt to his question, which is what awful cinema experiences have any of you endured? I once went to the cinema with my dog and Chris would not stop stroking it through the entire movie. Not a euphemism, we hope. Um, <laughs> well, that's broken, Chris. This is true. It's true. If you, if you, listen, if you have a dog, bring it in. I'll stroke the dog. I will. You know, the, the dog will bend to my will. If you have a, a, a troublesome dog, a recalcitrant dog in any way, bring it to the dog whisperer, and I will work my magic. That's okay? amazing. I, wow. I, I, we just can't. We're not allowed so, to have a dog. That's so sad. To get back to the question, though. I, 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 I have a question. Oh, Why aren't you allowed a dog? Who's not allowing you a dog? Is it the, is it the, <sighs> the landlord? The landlord and a combination of uh, my busy international jet-setting lifestyle. Of course. Which isn't fair to any dog, because you know, you're just not in. You're not there yeah, for the no, dog. I you hear that. Be, you, have to be, you have to be there for the dog. Anyway, uh, question. Cinema experience, uh, awful cinema experiences. What, what have we had? Well, the problem with the question is the, question, the story is so good that I don't think I can top it. I can't. I, can't, I don't yeah. think I've ever had a cinema screen ruined by people throwing up and and I haven't had all of horrible. that at once that that's pretty that's pretty astonishing I think many many different um components of that have happened at one time or another mm. so you're saying the story's a lie no no, no not to me sounds I mean like I can't, like I can't match that. that in one <laughs> sounds like you're story. saying it's a lie I'm not I would never doubt Matt from Australia no um I have. I, I went to Fight Club with a guy who didn't like it which baffled uh, me oh, 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 you're not allowed to talk about Fight Club no, well, that, but I thought we were on to... Uh, okay, yeah, never mind. Literally the rules, Helen. You've just broken true. the rules in the first... Only the first two, so okay. it's fine. <laughs> so what happened to Fight Club? No, he just... Like, we were on a date and he didn't like Fight Club and I should have just... I should have stopped it there, do you know what I mean? Like, I should have known and I, I just let it go on for another two weeks and it was stupid. Lots of people at the time didn't like Fight Club. Lots of people are stupid, but I shouldn't be dating them, do you know what I mean? Yeah, fair enough. Was um, this a first date with this guy or was it a, you know... I think it was actually, yeah... It was a first date and you went to see Fight Club. 
I'd already seen it, so I knew it was awesome. All right, so you went, okay, this is a great film, you should come along and yeah. see it. And how do you know that it wasn't just a figment of your imagination? I don't think I'd imagine someone that shit. <laughs> <laughs> Apologies to the person involved, but not that many. What was his name? Uh, oh, no, I shouldn't. I shouldn't no, don't, don't, tell, don't tell me. No. Let me guess his name. Okay. You Three guess guesses. His name. Three okay. guesses. All right. Go ahead. This is Northern Ireland, right? No. Where is it? This was at Oxford. Oxford? Yeah. All right. I immediately changed my guesses. <laughs> I was going for a Declan. <laughs> there but it's a not Declan. a Declan. No. All right. Okay. That's a really clever secret guess because she would have confirmed a Declan <laughs> if it was Declan. Four guesses. Sure. All right. Fauntleroy. <laughs> so close. No. Fauntleroy Fortescue Smythe the Fourth. No. No? Okay. Trebuchet. Trebuchet Killian <laughs> Laptop <laughs> The tent. Are you just are you just saying things you can see now? No, of course not. Okay. Um General Okay. Right. Okay. General Frederick Von Costa Coffee. <laughs> no. Oh damn it! Okay. So close. Though. So close. So close. All right. Okay. That's a, that's not a terrible experience, though, is it? I mean, it was. It was quite just when you can feel somebody sitting next to you hating on the film you're watching. That, that was quite bad. Did um, he my, try the old Mickey Rourke diner trick? No, he did not. Uh, my worst cinema experience, though, was one uh, weekend. I was in Houston, Texas, and I was really bored. And I went to cinema six times <laughs> in the weekend, and all of the films were terrible. Right. All of them. Um, like one pow- one was Kung Pao Enter the Fist I remember that mm-hmm. one was I Am Sam which is pretty bad yeah um, and one was The Mothman Prophecies where oh the- that's a good film yeah but the that one The Mothman was sitting next to you <laughs> pretty much it felt <laughs> like that so the print the, the print kept breaking down and then it actually went on fire at like a creepy moment in the film and, and you were sitting there for a moment going is this part of the film oh my god this is creepy and uh, and yeah and then and you it like, was actually. It fire. would have been better if it was part of the film. Yes, it would have been. So anyway, that was that was yeah. Oh my god! So I saw the the, the highlight of the weekend, and this gives you an idea of the level of everything else. Was seeing the Count of Monte Cristo, which by comparison was like a five star masterpiece, <laughs> and I still have very warm and fuzzy feelings towards. Ah, oh, pop goes Cafizel. Johnny, do you have anything? Yeah, I once went to see Click with Adam Sandler. What was he like? Oh, um, I don't know. I, I walked out. <laughs> Was that your bad experience? Yeah, I just I think, r- really didn't like that film. Because we're in a bubble, aren't we, really? I mean, this is the thing. I mean, my, my, uh, you know, we do go to the, the films. We do yep. go to see the, the movies with the with you know, the pain of the money and the stuff. But by and large, we go to see films in screenings. Yep. And by and large, people are, are kind of well-behaved. Uh, there was uh, an example, <laughs> Helen. Are you talking about Thor the Dark I'm World? I'm talking about Thor the Dark World. Yeah. yeah. Maybe that's not name the name of the gentleman in no, question, but, but like a, a radio DJ with the same name as Captain America. Um, <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> Crack that code, listeners. Was was uh, well, Matt Selinger was sitting in front of you? <laughs> I didn't realize actually who who it was. I just could see a person in front of me yes. who kept checking his phone and like texting during the screening. So I just leaned forward and politely said, sorry, could you put your phone away? And he sort of looked around really taken aback. And I said, it's just the light's really distracting. Thanks. And he got, he really took umbrage and started waving his f- screen at me over his head. <laughs> I really like that reaction. And then, and then, I can verify this story. And then left five minutes later, apparently in high dudgeon. And, and I sort of went, well, fair enough, and kept yeah. watching Thor. And then I got an email from the PR uh, saying, uh, hope Chris Evans didn't ruin your enjoyment of the screening too much. Oh, you've named him again. Oh, for the <laughs> love of God. Um, I will name no names, but... <laughs> 
I've certainly sat in critic screenings and watched famous critics fall asleep and then still review the films. No. And I've certainly seen them walk out with 20 minutes to go and still review the films. I, Same paper, different critics. I have also seen this happen. I have had to clamber over the legs of said critics uh, in order to leave the film uh, at, as the credits roll because they're fast asleep and they're not moving. There but, are certain famous internet critics who are notorious for doing that. Really? A certain well, one that you you read regularly, Chris, I used to. Oh, for leaving early? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, but he, he's very open about that on his... On his Good, uh, we can name him then. Yeah, Jeff Wells. Yeah. Jeff Wells, yeah, yeah. He, he very much subscribes to the life's too short uh, ethos when he goes to see a film. And if it's really bugging him, he'll he'll leave. But that, my point is that we're in bubbles and we don't really have the same experience. I mean, I remember writing something for Empire my very first year about row rage, about people being stabbed and fights breaking out in cinemas and, and touch whatever the hell this is. Um, that's not going to happen to us. Uh, but I had I had a bad experience about two weeks ago when I saw Transformers the last night. I mean, it was a bad experience because I saw Transformers the last like night. Like a super but, bad experience, yeah. But it was it was also bad because uh, it, it, I was on my own, so I was sad. Uh, uh-huh. There were no dogs around for me to stroke. That no. was that was very sad. Uh, no friends for me to like lambast to film with or high five Helen. Sometimes you and I have been known to high five in screenings. We have if something's known. particularly good, we would not have high fived in Transformers Five. No. There would have been none of that. Um, but it was freezing cold as well. But also I had my tripods. So whenever we do portable uh, podcast interviews, I carry tripods with me <laughs> so that the you know the talent won't touch the microphones and so we'll have better sound quality. And uh, so I had two tri- tripods with me. I can't remember who I was interviewing. And I came into the, uh, the, the cinema and I got the best seat I could and I've set the tripods down and the tripods kept slipping during the film and smacking me in the face. Oh. So that was, it just felt that, you know, film as metaphor, <laughs> pretty much. So that was a bad experience. But nothing to rival Matt Robinson. Matt, I think you've got it. I, I think, think you've did. nailed it, mate. Yep. Absolutely. So uh, well done there. And if you want to have your question read out in the Empire Podcast, you can do so via email or Twitter, like Matt did, Matt and Kat. Um, so uh, podcast at empireonline.com is the email address. We're on Twitter as at Empire Magazine. You can use the hashtag Empire Podcast and you can Facebook us as well. Uh, where we are Empire Magazine so there you go that's very very exciting indeed uh, right shall we have a guest yes let's do it shall we have, which one do you want John Watts or Andy Serkis Serkis they're both the same <laughs> we've okay. established this Andy Serkis is playing everybody in this podcast All he's right, doing a really bad job of me this week but but hey yo, what can you do Andy it is then you want Andy Serkis yeah okay we'll go Andy Serkis so uh, here's Andy Serkis no I'll give him a big earnings <laughs> roll in that uh, so he's one of our greatest actors we all know that I say that all the time when people come on the podcast, but he is. He's got an incredible body of work going back to Lord of the Rings, uh, Death Watch, which we've established as well, 13 going on 30, but of course he is the motion capture king of Hollywood. Not only does he have his own motion capture studio, not only is he directing his own motion capture film, uh, Jungle Book Origins, which is out in 2019, but he has been a motion capture character in all sorts of movies, uh, including the aforementioned Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, the new trilogy, where he is, of course, Supreme Leader Snoke, and Caesar. In the Planet of the Apes trilogy, uh, which comes to a, an end of sorts, I guess, next week, uh, with War for the Planet of the Apes. Uh, and he joined me in a recent hotel. It might have been him. It might have been him. It might have been him I was interviewing before I saw Transformers 5. Aha. Uh-huh. It might have been him. Okay. Ah! And he joined us in a London hotel room, and he was very, very lovely and talked about all manner of things. Uh, here he is, the great Andy Circus. Enjoy. 
Uh, we're delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by the great Andy Circus, star of War for the Planet of the Apes. How are you, sir? I'm very well. Nice to see you again. Nice to see you. Uh, uh, sometimes when you start off a podcast, you say to the person, congratulations on the film. And I'll be completely honest, sometimes I'm bullshitting. Uh, <laughs> in this case, I'm not bullshitting. This is a fantastic film. It is the best of the trilogy, in my opinion. Oh, wow. Uh, what's your take on it? Where, where do you, where does this place for you in the in the Apes-a-thon? Oh, I, listen, I love it. I do. I think Matt's made a, a real movie for our times. It's a, it's a brilliant piece of work it's 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 very very moving very emotional a huge epic event adventure um great characters multi-layered you know there's everything everything a proper planet of the apes movie should be <laughs> uh, and as an actor i presume right from the beginning when you signed on to rise you were locked into a trilogy. Is that is no? That, no, absolutely not. No. Oh wow. No, no, no. I, 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 we had no idea because, of course, the, the, well, to be honest, the previous version, had, uh, you know, hadn't done so well. So we were, <laughs> you know, we weren't sure of anything. You can't what, be sure. What of previous version is that? Uh, well, you know the one I'm talking about. The one we put in the cover in 2001 with Mark Wahlberg holding a chimp. Uh, exactly, and the, even the you weirdest know, cover in Empire. Exactly. I mean, it's incredible to think that actually they were still using chimps, real chimps, in 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 in, in the last you know version. Yeah. But um, anyway, no. So no, when I came on to do Rise, it was it was in fact you know because I mean I read the script for Rise. It was sent to me by the visual effects producer who was about to work on Rise with Joe Terry, of course, who's mm. from Weta, who yeah. is, is the master, and they, they've done the, all the work on all the movies since. But he sent sent it to me quite late on, just before shooting was about to start and said Andy you've got to read this this is a great and I was like Joe we did King Kong together I've played apes I've done apes uh, I read the script and of course it was an amazing part a really great part this this young uh, you know ape who grows up with human beings who then gets who's the recipient of this uh, Alzheimer's drug who then yeah. who then becomes thrown into a, a, an ape facility when he's a teenager and has to you know having been brought up with humans thinks he's human then has to become an ape has to find his inner ape then mm-hmm. becomes a revolutionary leader and and leads them to freedom you know it's just like that was uh, oh and he's an ape as well you know it was just like it was an amazing <laughs> kind of uh, it was an amazing script, a real page turner. So I, I thought, but I thought that would be the end of it. Yeah, but but it wasn't, and no. so you weren't signed on for the next one. No. So you're in this you're in this situation where you're not signed on because I sometimes wonder what it's like being an actor who is signed on to multi film contract, and you know the script's going to come in, and you must be hoping inside that the script is good because you're going to do it no matter what. But in this case, with Dawn and with War, yeah. you could have walked away. Had the script come in and it had been Absolutely. 90 minutes of Caesar smashing a, a custard pie into someone's face, exactly, you would have walked. No, that's right. Fortunately, yeah. of course, I mean, the, 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 the two directors that have worked on these three films have both been brilliant and brilliant storytellers and great writers. And yeah. so, so after Rupert had you know finished on, on Rise, when Matt came in to do Dawn, uh, and of course, you, know, you have to remember that, that during Rise, really the perspective shift in the middle of the movie so it was originally a kind of more of a human story yeah. and then literally halfway through it becomes Caesar's story mm-hmm. um, and you and you follow him and his his uh, trials and tribulations but 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 when Matt came in he was very very definitive about wanting it to be the next one was to be to be an ape centric story about seeing you know if he was going to direct this he wanted to tell a story that saw an ape civilization building and mm-hmm. and forming itself and that was where the joy what he lo- he had loved about rise actually was yeah. seeing the world through Caesar's perspective as, you know, the audience treading through this world as, as, as an ape. Absolutely. 
Matt literally sat down about two and a half years ago and he was just he'd just finished Dawn and we sat down together and he pitched me the entire movie of War for the Planet of the Apes. I mean he literally <laughs> told me the whole story in real time. Um wow. And what was so bizarre was that that evening I was going to see Rupert Wyatt's The Gambler that was on, that was opening, <laughs> and I was perilously close to being late for Rupert's film. But, okay. he, but with Matt, Mark Wahlberg, yeah, with Mark Wahlberg, not yeah. holding a chimp, exactly, not holding a chimp. No. There you go. And uh, but 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 Matt literally told me in real time over two hours this story, and it just blew my mind. And he said, oh, "We want to make this kind of culminating part of the trilogy a very Caesar-centric story, and take him on this extraordinary uh, U-turn of a of a, a character." in terms of character wow and did um, that change over the- it, it, you know what it's hard it, from my memory it feels exactly as it was as how he described it to oh. me that night and um, so so yeah I mean I saw it for the first time uh, a couple of nights ago we had a, right. a, a, a screening and it's so I mean it's vast it's such a vast film it's a really important film I think mm. um, it's very personal they're you know as I say great characters um, but but it's an it's an epic mythic journey and cements kind of Caesar as as, as uh, you know a legendary figure really and, and which is what Matt wanted to do so cements his place in 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 ape history for for future films <laughs> there are many uh, astonishing things about this film one of them is the fact that that uh, Matt's decision to, you know, we've we've had human characters to follow. There are human characters in this film, of course, but you are in the trenches with Caesar pretty much from the off. And the ape's eye view that Matt gets in this movie is astonishing. The, the CG is astonishing. The detail in the faces, the eyes, oh my God. That's an interesting perspective shift from, obviously we have James Franco in the first one, we have Chase and Clark and, you know, Kerry Russell in the second one. This one, it's you. You are the audience's eyes and ears. That's that's absolutely right. And again, that was that was very much Matt's ambition. You know, he wanted. I mean, I think going back to that, what what he saw in Rise, what he he fell in love with was was you know what this metaphor is seeing the seeing the the opportunity to see our world, the human condition through the perspective of apes' eyes, and, and allowing us to see ourselves afresh. Therefore, and uh, and 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 you do and you do go on, and it is Caesar's journey. Um, but Caesar's journey encompasses all of these incredible meetings with with other characters and lots of new characters in this yeah. one too. So for you know, there's this amazing young girl character who's discovered along along the journey. Who, who basically, I mean, in a nutshell, that what happens at the beginning of the movie is Caesar. We find Caesar in the trenches, as you say, three years on from dawn, and war has been raging. It was all it was on the brink, and Caesar trying to broker one sort of final peaceful deal between between the apes and humanity basically sort of saying look let, leave us our territory we won't inv- invade yours and we can coexist and that is not respected and basically what happens is it is a huge incident at the beginning without giving too much away yeah, that affects him very personally uh, he suffers huge personal loss uh, which drives him and away from being the empathetic kind of leader that he yeah. is known to be and is into down a path of uh, into into the, the grief sends him into a, a, a spin and he becomes full of rage and and hatred for humans for the first time and so it's it's a big character change for Caesar and he ends up going down a very solo path he stops being the leader of the tribe the Moses like character that he sort of is um, and goes on a solo journey luckily he's followed by his loyal companions 
he then meets another character played by Steve Zahn, a mm. really amazing new character, yeah. very, very uh, soulful, very witty, very funny. And, uh, you know, capture really will capture the audience's hearts. And, uh, you know, so and then, of course, really what, where he's heading is to track down the human being who has caused him, you know, such grief. Mm. And, and that is Woody Harrelson's character, the Colonel. And Woody's portrayal of this character is is insane. I mean, insanely brilliant because as, as with all of Matt's films, you know, all of these films that what he's very cleverly done is not say, you know, apes are good, humans are bad or vice versa. He, there are no winners in war. There are only mm. survivors. There are only people who suffer. And the Colonel is a, is a brilliant example of a, a, a Matt Reeves, Mark Bombach character, a human character, which, which although his methods are unsound, one could say, um, he's, lead, he's leading a battalion of soldiers with, with a new credo, with a new belief system, uh, which is a very harsh kind of survival of the fittest philosophy. But in the eyes of that Colonel is, is humanity, is loss, is his own struggle it's a bizarre fascination that they have with each other uh, a kind of a, an understanding in, in in many ways both they're both in trying to ensure the survival of their own species you know wonderful wonderful to play with woody amazing i uh i listened to an interview with woody recently where he said that uh he and you bonded over <laughs> two bottles of wine i don't think it was two actually i think it was a few more bottles of wine oh really okay there, actually okay. but um but it was yeah we had we we've become really close friends actually as a, as a result of this movie and and uh, i mean uh, he's such a great actor he really is a phenomenal actor and and, and human being i mean he's a really highly principled human being mm. he's very passionate vegan and yeah. environmentalist and uh, you know he's an amazing guy who really lives by his by his own rules and uh, and we, we we just we really vibed off each other but but primarily vibed off each other because because of the respect we have for each other as actors and and and, and, and I mean there, there really are some of the most enjoyable scenes I've, I've played with anybody on screen I think this is the uh, the circus ethos that you uh, go to your new co-stars couple of bottles of wine, <laughs> ply them, exactly. get them drunk. Come I'm the daddy on this set. <laughs> uh, hardly with Woody, but, um, but <laughs> uh, we, yeah, we just, um, yeah, it was just an amazing connection. It was a really great connection. And uh, I think we're planning to do stuff in the future together. So. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Excellent. And what about the, uh, what about your, your apes co-stars? Are there people who have, you know, have to do performance capture uh, like you? Do they, I mean, you've been doing this for years. You're a pioneer. You're the daddy. Do they, do they look up to you? Is there, is there an, an element of reverence? You know, the thing is, what everybody's realising is, and when Steve Zahn came in to play this part, uh, uh, kind of after initial sort of nervousness about, oh God, I've got to play an ape. I've got to, be, I've got to study apes. I've got to become a chimpanzee. You know, you realise it's all. Yes, that's true. You do need to do that groundwork, but ultimately, it's about character, and character is about your choices as an actor. What what people realise is is basically they've realised acting is acting, and and yes, becoming a chimp has you know you're learning certain skills and, and watching behaviour and studying and researching and all the rest of it. But but at the end of the day, it's no different to acting in any other way, and there is no mystery to it. So yes. and I keep telling actors that, and and having worked on on uh, Jungle Book now and directed yeah, you know, yeah. with Christian Bale and and Benedict Cumberbatch and Kate Blanchett on Jungle Book, you know they all wanted to do this because. 
because it offers them something new and 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 a, and a different set of skills for them. But but actually, ultimately, it's all about creating character, and and you do that same process. Where you know, as if you if you were working in a live action movie, playing in your own skin, as it were. Mm. So so there's there's kind of nothing to teach in a way, is what I'm saying. And, and there is a great mystery that sort of surrounds performance capture. Yeah. But but actually, and I think this film demonstrates it very clearly. You know, when you have those close ups of um, uh, of all of the apes and you know and, and Caesar included, you know you you are seeing and what Weta are doing now brilliantly, as you say, with the visual effects is they are able to honour those performances so magnificently now that they they've been they're a team that's been working together for so many years and and has, have have literally scanned our faces and, and watched our faces and know every single muscle group in our faces and know how they work, <laughs> um, particularly mine. Going back to Lord of the Rings, they've been studying my face for seventeen years. They should, they, they, it's no wonder they're getting better at it. It, you know, um, but they, they, the the rendering, the skin, the texture, the fur, the, the the eyes, the meniscus in the eyes, the watering of the eyes, all all of that stuff is that's what's improving is the ability to yeah. really honour the 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 performances that are shot on the day. And so, mm. I suppose, in a long winded way, what I'm trying to say is. Um, Acting is acting, really, yeah. and 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 those and everyone who comes into it thinks there's a mystery, and then after five minutes, it's just you're acting opposite your fellow actor. So, what can you tell us about Black Panther? Well, I have to say, I had the most brilliant time working on it. I really enjoyed working with Ryan Coogler. He's the coolest director ever. I mean, he is so awesome, really, really brilliant. And I think this film's going to be amazing. Great performances. Mm-hmm. Chadwick's going to be in- incredible. Uh, Lupita and, and, and all of the other guys. And it was great teaming up with Martin again, Martin Freeman. <laughs> that was really weird. I didn't even know Martin was, was doing it until until I, I, I was looking at my schedule as I was flying out to Atlanta to shoot. And I was did like, you uh, riddle each other? We did. We did a little a little riddling here and there. Okay. But it, it was very funny. You know, Bilbo and, and Gollum suddenly... In this whole other universe, it was yeah, it was it was hilarious. But we had really good fun doing it. And uh, trailer looks fantastic. Yeah, I, I don't know. I am absolutely amazed how how many hits that trailer's had. I mean, yeah. it's insane. And uh, people keep coming up to me, and I think more than anything I've ever done, any film I've ever done, people have gone come up to me about the trailer for some reason. <laughs> Incredible. It's because you made a connection, Andy. Hey. It's that accent. Uh, yeah, that spot on uh, accent. That's, uh, uh, that's, what, that's what it is. Oh, uh, so, uh, so there's Black Panther, and that's, that's one film you probably can't talk about. And then there's another film you probably can't talk about, which is The Last Jedi. What's, what's, what's Snoke up to? What's he doing? What's he, what's he up to, Andy? Um, what's he doing? Is that the title of the film, The Last, the Last Jedi? Jedi? Yeah. See, I didn't oh, you even know, know that. that. Come on, you they know keep, that. They keep, they keep these things secret from us. <laughs> Everything is a secret. I didn't even know it was called The Last Jedi. <laughs> do you not? Do you not go on the Twitter? Do you not? You know, check the internet. It's, it's out there. The internet. It's out there. Uh, yeah. Occasionally, um, fire up your CompuServe account and, and away you go. <laughs> so yes, of course. Well, what can't I tell you? I can't, can't tell you. Tell I can't tell you anything um, other than uh, Ryan as Ryan Johnson yeah. uh, has made uh, yeah a pretty amazing movie and I think fans are going to be blown away and yeah I had some pretty cool shit to do hot scoop (laughs) (laughs) Andy Sergis thank you so much cheers mate thank you bye bye and we'll be reviewing uh, War of the Planet of the Apes on next week's show it is out on Tuesday but we'll be reviewing it on next week's show but spoiler alert it's very very good Uh, agree concur I'm seeing it tonight you've seen it tonight Mm. okay fantastic Johnny but yeah absolutely yeah best of the trilogy um, yes, yes, sure, says Johnny Powell sure, decisively and instantly. Uh, second best, best, second. Be- what's, the, what's the best? 
Maybe the second one. Which one was that? I can't remember which one. Dawn. Dawn. Oh, there yes. we go. Dawn. Dawn. I meant Dawn. Yeah. All right. Uh, okay, so uh, let's start now talking about uh, movie news. And we should start, I think, with the very, very sad news that the great Barry Norman passed away last week at the age of 83. Uh, he, of course, was uh, probably the best-known film critic this country has ever produced mm-hmm. uh, by sheer dint of his long stint on the film program, the BBC's film program. You might know it better as Film 2017 or whatever year you want to add to it. Uh, but he was also a, a writer, a broadcaster in his own right beyond that, uh, and a purveyor of pickled onions. Yes, apparently very nice ones if you like that sort apparently. of thing. They are tremendous and you are doing film critics everywhere a disservice by not trying them immediately. (laughs) Have you not tried them? I I don't like pickled onions. You'll like these. (laughs) All right, sorry. I think they're exclusive to Tesco. Are they? I I can't, I can only get them in the Tesco. Other supermarkets are available for They are, but they don't sell Barry Normal's pickled onions. Well, so what's the point of them? And pickled shallots. Really, he was branching out then, was he? Yeah. Yeah. And I know that uh, some of the pickled onions, he had different varieties and different... Uh, so spicy pickled onions. I don't like pickled onions, but I love pickled onion monster munch. Go figure. What does that say? I don't really know. Something lowbrow, I think. Yeah, I think that's probably it. Probably right. Uh, but Barry Norman. I mean, he was amazing. I mean, he, yeah. I, I grew up with the guy on my TV. He was he, he was fantastic. He was the one that that I grew up with. Certainly, I didn't really, I wasn't really aware of film criticism as a thing as a kid, except for Barry Norman. He was the one you all knew. And so, you know, I think he, he he occupied in many ways for the UK, the same place that Roger Ebert occupies in the US, I think. And I know, you know, Roger Ebert's worldwide, but I didn't know him as a kid. I didn't know about him growing up. I just knew about Barry Norman. Yeah, and yeah. I think, um, so yeah, so he's 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 very much sort of in our affections. And, it, and even when you disagreed with him, you kind of had to respect his opinion because he was usually quite funny and witty and, and interesting with it. So, you know. Well, the thing was, I mean, he'd just seen so many films, so yeah. you can disagree with him, but you'll say, well, actually, this film's very similar and it's better, So, and yeah. I know more than you do. I know, I hate people like that, they're the worst. But, you know, I mean, you have to respect the <laughs> okay, fact the that he's best. probably right. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Amazing line in Funkular Jumpers as well. Mm-hmm. Very well well turned out, man. I once read somewhere, either someone told me or once I once read somewhere, I can't quite remember, that he was widely considered to be the best in the biz at reading from an autocue. That... He made it look absolutely effortless. As some presenters, you watch them very, very carefully and their eyes are following the words. And he just absolutely read it like he was just saying the words for the first time. And why not, indeed? Which is a catchphrase that he never really ever said. Roy Bremner came up mm. with that and attributed it to him. Uh, but he was fantastic. And we had him on the podcast a few years ago when yeah. uh, uh, his last book of memoir about his wife, um, his relationship with his wife, was called See You in the Morning, which was the last words she said to him came out in 2013 and he came at the podcast and we were all really nervous. I think it was me, Phil Dissembly and, and Ali Plum and we were all really nervous because it was Barry Norman and it was the guy that, perhaps not the reason why we all became film journalists but a, a decent part of the reason why we became film journalists in the first place was because of him and he was fantastic, really great and gracious and tolerated our, uh, he sanctioned our buffoonery with, uh, with great grace. That's well, lovely. A rare, a rare gift indeed. But yeah, he will be missed. <laughs> he was awesome. Uh, 83 years old. Barry Norman, who passed away this week. Okay, so what has been happening in the world of movie news? Well, in slightly happier news, um, it's got to be about True Detective Series 3. Now, obviously, Season 1 had us all absolutely riveted. So season 2, not so much. Uh, season 3, the word is that they are targeting Mahershala Ali 
mm -hmm. uh, for one of the leading roles, which would be, I think it's fair to say, absolutely brilliant news. Um, mm -hmm. He's obviously done great work on TV in the past, and he's obviously broken through to a whole new level after after Moonlight. So, uh, so it seems like they're striking while the iron is hot, and that's got to be a good thing. He will be in uh, a leader battle angel in the meantime, Roxanne, Roxanne. But, um, but I think this is really exciting. The question yeah. is, who do we want to see with him, I guess? That's a very, very good question. I don't know. I don't know either. I don't know. Uh, let me see. Uh, how about uh, Rex Watercup? Are you just saying things you see again, Chris? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Uh, but that's exciting, uh, even though I didn't really pay... I haven't really paid attention to either a series of, of True Detective and because I'm a Philistine, but... Mm. Yeah, that's exciting. Well done. Did anyone see season two? I didn't see it. I didn't I watch the it. first one. I read some. I read some synopses, and I was just like, "Nope, hard pass." Yeah, um, I wonder if it got better. No one really, really <laughs> talks about it anymore. From what I read, no, it didn't. Oh, not. great! I won't yeah. bother then. It's a shame. It was such a good cast, and yeah. yeah. But we shall see. But well done to Mahershala Ali, which is great. And uh, uh, so. Lionsgate seems to be moving ahead with this this new Hellboy movie. Have you seen this? It's, it's not got a title. It's Ooh. called Hellboy, Rise of the Blood Queen. Ooh. Ooh. We know that David Harbour is going to be starring in it as Hellboy. We know that Neil Marshall is going to be directing it. Uh, and uh, yeah, I just realised this week that uh, Lloyd Levin and Larry Gordon, who are the producers of the first two Hellboy movies, are, are producing this one as well, which I didn't, I didn't quite realise. But this is uh, this is definitely going to go ahead. It's a script by Andrew Cosby, Christopher Golden, and Mike Mignola, who of course is the creator of Hellboy. We know it's going to be R-rated, and we know it's going to be a lower budget than the uh, the Guillermo del Toro directed movies. Um, so it seems to be finally happening, and ha happening at a pretty decent lick as well. So I'm actually beginning to wonder if it's going to be a comic con. Wow, well, they might be a comic con. Yeah. They might do an announcement thing at comic con, which would be which would be interesting. But it's announced. It's announced, but the the rest of the cast isn't announced. So we don't know who's playing Ape Sapien. We don't know who's playing uh, Liz Sherman. We don't know who's playing anyone else in that movie yeah. yet, or indeed who's going to be in it. So it's it's going to be fascinating to see what happens. Yeah, that's cool news. Mm. There was also a news this week about Fantastic Beasts and where to find them, two or whatever we're calling it. Um, it'll open a few months after the first with uh, Gellert Grindelwald played by Johnny Depp. Uh, <laughs> having escaped, uh, obviously he's like the How world again. <sighs> Play by Johnny Depp. Anyway, and uh, hopefully hiding as Colin Farrell again for just reasons. Um, and uh, Albus Dumbledore, of course, joins the cast this time, played by Jude Law. Played by Jude Law. Played who's by tracking Depp. him down with the help of Eddie Redmayne's Newt. They'll be in Paris and London this time, apparently. Which is which so is Dumbledore. Uh, uh, Grindelwald escapes. Is that Grindelwald? Yeah, has escaped. Yeah, he has. So we don't see. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, he'll be in it. He's out. Yeah. He's out. And there's going to be a wizarding circus involved somewhere, which is potentially quite cool. Any... Why do they need a circus if they're wizards? Well, because, you know, I guess there would be... You know, we have circuses for, like, normal animals. <laughs> they would have circuses for, like, wizard animals, maybe. Oh, that's a good idea, because I was going to say, maybe a wizard circus is, like, really mundane things. Maybe you watch, like, some guy just doing his account. I mean, it could be, because you remember how Mr. Weasley was all obsessed with, like... Normal stuff. everyday stuff, yeah. yeah. So it could be like, oh, look, here's a typewriter. And wizards just be like, amazing, yeah. wow. But so. the, the animal tamers seems like a sensible thing. Yeah, it would it would tie in with Newt again, I guess. So yeah. that, that's why I sort of assumed that. Um, but yeah, we, we also know that Ezra Miller's going to be back, which to me is a little bit of a surprise because I read that as a character who wouldn't be back. Um, and Zoe Kravitz, who we glimpsed in the last one as... Uh, 
as Newt's sort of former love interest is going to be appearing as well. Mm. An ancestor of Sirius Black. Yes, she is Lestrange. Right. Is, is that a baddie or a goodie? That's a good question. It appeared that maybe something well done, Chris. Good came question. between Newt and her and maybe it was badness. Oh, oh. I hate, oh no. I hate when badness comes between young love. Oh, that's awful. Uh, but speaking of Fantastic Beasts and where to find them, uh, the Sci-Fi <laughs> Channel is producing a Deep Blue Sea sequel. Yay! Uh, which sounds amazing, <laughs> but then you realise it's a Sci-Fi Channel and they're behind the likes of Sharknado and they their budget will be about £4.50 and it'll be terrible. But then that's probably the right thing to do. I just want to hear that great theme again, which you remember had the great lyrics like, Deeper Bluer, My Head Is Like a Shark's Fin. You what? Know, no, what? I'm pretty sure it did, yeah. Sing it to me. I can't sing it, no. Of course you can, you've got an excellent voice. Oh, you're very oh, kind. That's but glorious, a, your voice, Helen. Oh, thank you, it's not going to happen. Uh, it's an, It was LL Cool J who, of course, starred as the cook aboard the submarine ship thing. Yeah. And, uh, and Secret yeah. of a three-egg omelette mm. is two eggs. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> that's what he says, ish. <laughs> <laughs> Something along those lines, probably. I, I kind of love that film. I love that film. Uh, which is it's demented and bonkers and the makes no sense. The avalanche speech is one of the one of the great movie moments. Yeah. So I, what, is, what is that? Nineteen ninety nine. Nineteen ninety nine. Yeah. So presumably sci-fi CGI is about nineteen ninety nine level. <laughs> probably so is. This yeah. is a perfect fit. Yeah, I think so. It won't look out of place. It's very exciting. It's very exciting. Uh, I'll never watch it. It'll be terrible. I'll never watch it. But one sequel I might watch. Mm-hmm. My God, my segues are all fine. just insane. So just, strong. Dear Amazing. Lord. I'm, really just, I'm going to step away from the desk and compose myself for a minute. That segue was so effing good. Uh, is um, Top Gun Maverick. Yeah. And that's that fully announced title. Yeah, fully announced title indeed. And uh, it's going to be coming out. It's got a It's got a release date. It's got a director. Mm-hmm. It's got a star, little Tommy Cruise. He's coming aboard. He's going to be Maverick once again. Uh, it's going to come out July 12th. A uh, date that, that means something to you, me and Helen. So much, Chris. What are you doing July 12th, 2019? I'll be marching, obviously. What are you going to be doing? I'll be avoiding. <laughs> that sounds about right. Um, is that Boyne? Uh, yes, yes, yes. How do you so, say it? The Battle of the Boyne. Battle of the Boyne. The Boyne, yeah, Boyne yeah. yeah. And it's, that's when people build bonfires. It's when... I mean, it's one of the many occasions, but yes. It's when one side goes, ah, we won a battle years and years ago and we're going to march for reasons. And then the other side goes, what? Don't do that. You weirdos. Yeah, come on. And then... Which side is Theresa May on in all this? Uh, uh, she's on the marching side now. Is she? Yeah. Maybe yeah. she'll march. Mm. Maybe she'll, she'll, she'll be spinning that little thing around and she'll be playing her little pipe. Be fun. Anyway, enough Northern Irish politics. Indeed, yeah. yeah. People who aren't from Northern Ireland are suddenly going, what the hell is going on? Believe me, if you live in Northern Ireland at this point of the year, you also go, what the hell is going on? Uh, anyway, so there's a Top Gun sequel, tw- July 12th, 2019. Very, very exciting. Joseph Kaczynski directing. Joseph Kaczynski. He's got a good eye. He's directed Cruise before in Oblivion. He knows what he's doing, we hope. Oh, wrong title. Do you not like the title? It should be called Danger Zone. <laughs> <laughs> it should be called Top Gun Danger Zone. Yeah. That would work. I, I'm more worried about what... I mean, he's going to be apparently teaching young hotshot pilots to do their thing in an age of drone warfare. Um, the the big worry with a film like this is who those young hotshot pilots are because we've seen in a few recent films the young hotshot pilot types have been boring. I just... I hope it's bad. I hope it's a Hemsworth. That's... But that, it probably will be a Hemsworth, but it won't be like Chris. It'll be like Luke. Luke? Yeah. The Guys, other, I'm going to blow your minds. Okay. It's going to be a lady pilot. What? Whoa. Yeah. 
There you go. It's going to be a lady pilot. It's very exciting. Very exciting. Played by Luke Hemsworth. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what else is happening? So uh, Fox have announced they're going to make The Force, uh, which is the adaptation of the Don Winslow novel, which is currently out and has uh, been hailed as the godfather of cops. I haven't read it yet, but I'm very excited about it. Uh, he's a very, very good novelist. Uh, James Mangold is going to direct that film. And uh, Lamar Johnson and Evan Peters are going to be in X-Men Dark Phoenix, which starts filming, if it hasn't already, uh, any second now. So, Yeah. Not yeah. a great week for movie news, I'll be honest, but that's because of the July 4th celebrations. So pull your finger out, America. Get it sorted out. Yeah, happy birthday, America, though. Yeah. Oh, happy birthday, America. We, we love you and you're amazing. Um, and sorry about everything. Okay, let's have a, a second guest now. And this second guest is a director whose first two movies, Clown and Cop Car, were perhaps little scene. If you haven't seen them, check them out. They're very, very good, in particular Cop Car. Uh, but, nevertheless, he bagged the gig as director on Spider-Man Homecoming, which is out this week. And in fact, we'll be discussing it very, very soon. He is, of course, John Watts, and he came to London recently. Uh, and maybe he's a guy I was interviewing just before going to see Transformers. I don't... I mean, it's... Maybe he is. I had the tripods. I don't... No, wait. No, he was holding the mic. Anyway, it's a mystery. It's a mystery. I'll never know. Uh, anyway, he came into London... He talked to me about various things, and he was a lot of fun. So here you are, me talking to John Watts. Enjoy. Delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by the director of Spider-Man Homecoming, John Watts. How are you, sir? I'm good, I'm good. How are Excellent. you? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Uh, so you're done? Yeah, done. You were actually done. What was the last thing you did on the, on the movie? I approved the last two VFX shots and then got into a cab for the airport to come on this press tour. <laughs> So the old saying that the, uh, the the negative is still dry, although I'm sure it's not film anymore. <laughs> yeah. It's just it's just digital. Yes, the yeah. Pixels are. I've just finished pixel lighting. Well, obviously, the last two movies that you made as a director, Clown and Cop Car, were much smaller, yeah. independent movies. Yeah. Um, and perhaps I don't know. Maybe if you can talk about moving up a scale as well with Marvel, who surround you, I guess, with the best the best in the business in terms of second unit and special effects guys yeah. and editors and whatnot. But as as someone who started off in indie movies. What's that leap like? Well, when you make a smaller movie, you get very used to doing a lot of the work yourself or mm-hmm. with a very small group of collaborators. You know, I work really close with my DP and my producer and my co-writer um, on the previous films. And what's nice about doing a bigger movie like this is that you have support on every level. Like, for example, I've I've always pre my movies. Like, I've always... I can't draw very well, so I use this. Uh, I use a program to do a, a previs of, okay. of every frame of the movie. And on an indie movie, you do that because you don't have enough money to shoot more than exactly what you need to shoot. Sure, and you don't have that luxury of time. But on a bigger movie like this, you know, you have a whole previs team, uh-huh. and you can use that as an opportunity to try different things out and explore different techniques and different blocking and. Uh-huh. It was a luxury for me to have access to all of these tools and these amazing people to collaborate with. It was, it was, it was great. What did you want to do visually that, say, Sam Raimi and Mark Webb hadn't or, or maybe even couldn't? Visually, I wanted to try to keep everything as grounded as possible. I mean, there was this sort of overarching stylistic conceit that if the other Marvel movies have shown sort of the penthouse view Mm -hmm. of this universe. You know, you've seen what it's like to be a 
billionaire playboy philanthropist. You've seen what it's like to be from Asgard. You know, you've seen what it's like to be an American icon like Captain America, but mm-hmm. we've never seen what it's like on the ground level mm-hmm. of the Marvel Universe. So with that in mind, just I try to apply that aesthetic to the visual style as well, you know. Uh, no impossible camera moves, you know, no, oh, okay. no thousand mile an hour cameras, you know, nothing that you couldn't actually shoot in some way mm-hmm. if you had a camera and a Spider-Man. And from what I've seen so far, we haven't seen the finished film yet, but yeah. I've seen the first 12 minutes, yeah, something roughly, like that. give or take. Um, and uh, some of the shots of, of Peter, there's a shot of Peter, uh, spoiler alert, <laughs> Peter Parker is Spider-Man. Uh, <laughs> On, oh no! I <laughs> know, uh, sitting on a a fire escape. Yeah. With New York in the background, yeah. and it feels utterly real to me. Now it I don't real. know whether that's green screen shot. No, or, it's real. Oh, it's real. Okay. Yeah, we um we put Tom Holland up six stories on the edge of a fire escape, eating a sandwich, and <laughs> shot it with the techno crane as the sun was going down. Like that's real. Wow! Amazing. Yeah, it was very scary. For him. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, what's he secure to? Uh. You have to. You can't secure him to the fire escape because if the, that's not secure, you know the whole thing would just come falling down. So okay. you have to wire him all the way up to the top of the building and build a huge truss up there to keep him locked in. So all we had to do for that shot was um, paint out the wires. Oh my god! Is he yeah. sca- is he scared of heights? Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't think so. But that's scary. Even if you don't have to be scared of heights to be afraid when you're. <laughs> teetering on the edge of a fire escape six stories up <laughs> and uh there was a stunt there too i don't mm-hmm. how much i don't know if you saw like he, he yeah. ends up basically planking straight out yes. over the street so yeah. that was that's all him does it mean now you can do anything with spider-man um you can do so much that again you have to start giving yourself boundaries one thing that i learned a lot about and was extremely helpful was motion capture so if there was ever a situation where we couldn't actually put Tom because it was too dangerous or impossible logistically, we made sure to always have a motion capture performance from him driving a CG character. So okay. even if it's not, even if it is a CG shot, it's still Tom Holland's performance. Okay, yeah, He has yeah. such a recognizable physicality that it had to be him. You could tell if it was someone else, mm-hmm. you know, or, or you could tell if it was keyframed animation. It had to be him. Were you involved at all? In his casting. I, he got the job, I think, the same day that I got the job. <laughs> so we started together. The first thing I did was see his audition tape. Right. And it was great. It was perfect. At so, which point you uh, breathed a, sigh, a huge sigh of relief. I couldn't imagine if it had been something else. But uh, no, it was so good that it was obvious. It yeah. was like there was no question, I think, in anyone's mind. Seeing this, this kid go toe-to-toe with Robert Downey Jr. and to hold his own uh-huh. was just remarkable. So the uh, the audition, his screen test was with yeah R. him R. and him and Robert together. I mean, that's tough. Yeah, because that guy's a force of nature, and you walk into the room and yeah. he can overwhelm. Yes, and he can improv and he can maybe dance rings around people. So if you can hold your own with him, not only did Tom hold his own, but he improved a line against one of Robert's improv lines that was so good that. We put it in Homecoming. <laughs> but he doesn't get a screenwriting credit. No. No, he doesn't do that. Okay. But maybe next time. Maybe next time. Maybe next time. And what about your process? I mean, what about your your uh, attempts to win the gig? 
how did it happen for you? How did it go about it? You have to put. Did you know who you were up against? I get you know, when you're going for a job interview, yeah. a normal job interview. You walk into a room and there's about a dozen people all wearing the same suit, <laughs> all going for the same job, all with their knees jiggling nervously, <laughs> uh, and you know who you're up against. But in Hollywood, does it work the same way? Do you go into Marvel Studios and there's like a dozen directors waiting <laughs> with mood boards? And no, not quite. I mean, I. I don't exactly know what it was that I did that got me the job. That's more of a question for, for everyone else. But um, I just went in on a general meeting initially at Marvel. They had seen Cop Car and wanted to meet me. And it wasn't about Spider-Man or anything in particular. It was just one of those general meetings. Hi, nice to meet you. But throughout the course of that meeting, they told me that they were in the process of making this deal with Sony to sort of share the rights for Spider-Man. They were going to have Spider-Man in the new... Ca- they were going to reintroduce Spider-Man in the new Captain America movie mm-hmm. and then potentially make some movies uh, on their own with Sony. And the big thing, I think, that helped me get my foot in the door initially was they told me that he was going to be young. He was going to be 15. Mm-hmm. And the idea was to make a Spider-Man movie that was almost like a coming-of-age movie. Mm-hmm. And I had been wanting to make my own coming-of-age movie. Like, I had been writing a script and had been sort of immersing myself in coming-of-age movies uh, to just sort of, you know, make sure I was really familiar with the genre. So when they said that, I was immediately able to start spouting off references and (laughs) coming up with things that I had already been working on in my script that I could then apply to a Spider-Man movie. Mm -hmm. And I think that helped me get then the next meeting and then the next meeting and then the next meeting. I just kept coming back to more and more meetings with more and more people in the room, Uh, (laughs) you know, Marvel and then Sony and then a combination of Marvel and Sony. And I really didn't think I was going to get it until the very, very, very end. I started to realize, oh, this might actually happen. What was the phone call like when you... Can Um, can you remember the... uh... I do. I was in New York. I had just screened Cop Car and uh, I was... I got this call when I was in a cab driving to the airport and they had said, if anyone finds out that you've got the job, you don't get the job. Like (laughs) you can't leak this until we officially announce it. Okay. And I'm in the, in the back of a cab and I don't want the cab driver to hear. So I just am not saying anything. Uh I'm just being Uh totally silent while various people are calling me and saying congratulations and from the studios and et cetera, et cetera. And the whole time I'm getting this amazing news, like the cab driver is going faster and faster and is like weaving through traffic on the way to the airport. And I was, I just couldn't help but feel like I'm going to get, I'm going to die. Like I'm going to get the best news of my life and then die in a car crash. It just felt so crazy. Oh my God. Oh my God. Who was the first person you told? Uh, my wife. There you go. Happy days. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and can you talk about uh, Tony Stark in this movie, Robert Downey Jr.? Yeah. Again, was that part of the negotiation, the, the part of the discussions that you knew from the off he was going to be in the movie? And then what do you do with him? That's. Yeah. I mean, it was never like you have to put Tony Stark in the movie. Uh-huh. I felt more like, oh, I get to put Tony Stark in the movie. <laughs> so I just wanted to come up with a way to, again, explore another side of Tony Stark that we haven't really seen before. You know, mm-hmm. Normally, he's carrying so much of the movie on his shoulders, but in this movie, he becomes a secondary character to Peter, who's the main character. So Mm -hmm. we got to view Tony through this completely new prism of being this sort of reluctant mentor, distant dad kind of character to Peter. And that was just, I think that was really fun for Robert to get to show another side of Tony Stark that he never gets to show. Mm. And you have Michael Keaton. Yes. As the vulture. 
Now, the Vulture, again, obviously is a huge Spider-Man villain, and I know Sam Raimi was toying with the idea of doing the Vulture yeah. at some point. Uh, if they, I think if they'd done a Spider-Man 4, he might well have been the, the bad guy. Uh, but can you talk about why now? Why the Vulture? And why this iteration of the Vulture, from what I've seen so far, is a very interesting take on him. Yeah. One reason to have the villain be the Vulture is, again, just going back to the the beginnings of the books, like the Vulture is the first supervillain that Spider-Man ever fights mm-hmm. in the comics. And um, I thought it would be nice, you know, to, to start there, just start at the beginning again. But there was also, as you start to look at the villains and how they could, how they could uh, fit into this world, I, in the same way, you know, that Peter is a ground level superhero, I wanted to see if I could create a ground level supervillain. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to show what life is like at the bottom level of this universe. And, the idea of the vulture being this scavenger, you know, being someone who's picking over the parts of these huge Avengers battles and mm-hmm. using the junk down at the very bottom to build his own kind of arsenal. I thought that I thought that could be a really interesting way to explore this this layer of the mm-hmm. universe, trying to adjust to this very new universe mm. where the Avengers exist. You know, where aliens have almost destroyed New York. Like, what what does that look like for a regular person? How does that change you? Mm. And, and visualizing the vulture as well. Yeah. Well, that's, that's another nice thing is that I was able to lean on just the Marvel Universe's way of updating characters and being more tech-based mm-hmm. uh, than they're necessarily portrayed in, in the books. And being able to build this awesome mechanical wingsuit... Uh, made for a much more compelling live action character than, you know, a green feathery <laughs> wingsuit and a, and a cowl. Oh, but man. again, you know, we still, we try, we tried to, we tried to give a little bit of a nod to the cowl with his, uh, yes. his, uh, his jacket. And, you know, you, you get, you get the green with those, like there's a slight green hint to the, the metal and those glowing green eyes. And he's, he's older as well. I mean, Michael Keaton yeah. is, a, is an older villain and we've, we've seen, he's not as old as I always imagined the Vulture to be. I always imagined the Vulture to be like in his 80s. He's not, obviously not, but <laughs> yeah. in the comics, he looks like he's on his last legs, yeah. perpetually just about to conk out. Yeah. Uh, Michael Keaton obviously isn't that. He's still a young guy. He's fresh and vital, but he's also Michael Keaton and he brings yeah. with him obviously that, that He brings all of that yeah. with him. He brings all of those roles. So you look yeah. at him and you just can't help but feel that the gravity of everyone that he's been in the movie. Mr. Mom like, is beating up Spider-Man. Exactly, what's, yeah. what's going on? <laughs> Leave him alone. Yes. <laughs> uh, that's the role I was thinking of, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's the most... I was thinking more multiplicity. Yeah, oh, multiplicity, yeah. right. Multiple Michael Keatons yes, at the end. Yeah. yeah. If, you, if you've got time to go reshoot the ending, you should maybe, you know, <laughs> you should maybe do that. Uh, but obviously he is, he is Batman. And uh, Yeah. When uh, Batman is fighting Spider-Man, you start to think, oh, Spider-Man might not win this one. <laughs> How did you persuade him to come to come on board? Because this is a man who has made most recently a movie, uh, Birdman, which pokes fun amongst other things the superhero genre. So yeah, I think he enjoyed that meta element of it, and he really liked the idea of. I think he really liked the idea of being a villain. Mm. You know, he got to he got to watch Jack Nicholson do it, and I think he was like, "It looks pretty fun." He he definitely had no problem reminding Tom that he was Batman. <laughs> How did, Tom, humble. how did Tom take it? I think he was scared. Uh, what was your uh, biggest pinch me moment on Homecoming? <laughs> there was so many. Like every day, there was so many pinch me moments that you get like numb to the amount of pinches <laughs> that you're giving yourself. 
Uh, do you hire someone to pinch you at a certain point? <laughs> I mean, Marvel have the money to do that, right? Uh, Victoria Alonso, the uh, Marvel producer, handles yeah. all of the post-production. <laughs> so she's going to handle all the pinching. She just comes in and She does handle me. all the pinching. She's constantly <laughs> like, are you pinching yourself? This is a pinching moment. You're making this movie. All right. Um, I, I guess it's just sort of standing there with John Favreau and Robert Downey Jr. and Tom Holland and just mm. sort of riffing was surreal mm. to me. Mm. I was like, oh, I can't, I'm, I'm in it. I'm in, I'm, I'm in this movie. Like <laughs> it was so strange. But again, then, then the next day you would suddenly be just sort of hanging out and listening to Michael Keaton tell stories and you'd be like, wait, what's happening? <laughs> and, uh, and going forward, are you, in the way that James Gunn has become the custodian, I'd say, of the the cosmic universe over at Marvel, <laughs> in the way that the Russos certainly have have you know risen from doing a Cap sequel to now directing yeah the next two Avengers movies, which are the most ambitious movies ever made. That's not been around <laughs> the bush. Um, are you now the custodian of of Spidey? I I I just like to think of it one movie at a time. Okay, you know? um, but I do feel like that we are just scratching the surface of spider-man and the kind of stories we can tell now that he's a part of this bigger universe and and just having it be tom holland you know i really i think we can go to a lot of really fun places absolutely but i gotta finish this one first you gotta finish this one first and uh and let's just say you know there's no uncle ben in this one (laughs) but if you were to cast uncle ben who would you cast i don't know you don't want to cast. You don't want to talk about casting Uncle Ben because then you're just going to have to kill him. <laughs> I think we've seen Uncle Ben die enough on screen. Like and you I, should cast someone who dies a lot, so they're <laughs> adept at it. So like a Sean Bean or a Steve. A Steve Buscemi would be a fantastic Uncle Ben. Oh my gosh! Or or a Joe. I'd have Pesci. to check with Marissa. Well, Joe Pesci would be great because you have that. I don't want my cousin Vinny. I know, I know, but I don't want. I don't want to be responsible for killing Joe Pesci. <laughs> John Watts, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Cheers. So John Watts there, the director of Spider-Man Homecoming, the latest reboot of Spider-Man on the big screen. It's out now. You've probably already seen it, but if you haven't, let's give you a steer on it. What do we make of this one? Hell's Bells. Set this one up for us. Uh, we really liked it. This this starts uh, after uh, Captain America Civil War with, in fact, starts really during Captain America Civil War with Peter Parker played by Tom Holland. No, not that one or the other one. Uh, or there's four now. There's four. There's not the third one either. It's the it's the the one that plays Peter Parker. It's the historian. So close. Anyway, he is recording a little video diary of his exploits. Uh, he gets home in one piece. Tony Stark tells him, "We'll call you when we need you." So he's basically on call. He thinks like any minute now I'm going to formally join the Avengers. This is awesome. And yet it keeps not not happening. So he investigates crime in his neighborhood, sometimes to very little effect. But he does find some people selling weapons based on alien technology left behind after the Battle of New York in Avengers. And uh, that, that group is led by Michael Keaton's Adrian Toomes. And uh, he starts trying to to chase down this group with sometimes disastrous consequences, mm. uh, which Tony Stark has to kind of step in and, and sort out. So, so it's this: it's it's a hero kind of finding his feet and taking his first steps, I guess, into a wider world outside his own neighborhood. Mm. It's also a high school movie because amid all this, he has to go to class. He has to be part of the academic decathlon team. He's trying to get himself out of as many extracurricular activities as possible to free time up for heroing. And yet the heroing keeps not happening. But it's a ridiculously charming, very funny uh, 
take on Spider-Man and probably the best Peter Parker film yet, I would say. I would agree. Okay. Johnny? Yep. Three thumbs up. <laughs> you were bitten by a radioactive Paul McCartney. <laughs> so you've grown a third thumb. Uh, yeah, uh, we all loved it, didn't we? Yep. Yeah, we did. Uh, yep. I, I don't know anyone who's in the office or anywhere else who hasn't enjoyed it. I know one person. They shall remain nameless. On this in podcast. the office? No, no, no. Not in the office, but I don't want to name Oh, it in, in, in a broadsheet? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I know that one, actually. But yeah, but, but yeah otherwise... Uh, within the otherwise, group... Within the within the group, with it, if we if we we don't have a WhatsApp group, but if we did, uh, we'd be like WhatsApping each other little spidey emojis and stuff. It'd be it'd be really <laughs> quite fun. Um, but yeah, I think this is fantastic, and I, and I went into this one with trepidation because I thought all the trailers have been terribly generic, and it didn't look like anything new, and it didn't look like anything special. And I saw the first ten minutes a few weeks ago, and it was fun. Uh, to, to to prepare for the interview with John Watts because the film wasn't quite finished by that point. And uh, it was fun. It was fine. It it had a, a continuity error that well, or a continuity thing, maybe not an error that we will discuss in great detail on the Spider-Man Homecoming Spoiler Special. But, you know, it was fun, but it didn't seem to be smashing it out of the park. And then I saw the film last Sunday and it was a lot like the Wonder Woman experience for me mm. because I couldn't keep a smile on my face for the first hour in particular. And a little bit like Wonder Woman, the second half of the film doesn't quite live up to the promise of the first which is for me anyway which is uh it's just so much fun it's got so much zest and ferve and and it focuses really on peter parker mm. and tom holland who's fantastic in the role and then i found that once the spider-man stuff started coming to the fore a little bit that it started to get a little bit been there done that but it's got such charm and it's so funny uh there's a there's a bit of a bugbear of mine at the moment. There was, a, there was an article this week about how uh, about how most comedies this year have flopped at the uh, yeah. U.S. box office, and I was ranting on Twitter about how no oh, improvisation is the death of comedy and blah 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 blah. And you know most comedies this year have not been funny. The Big Six coming out in a couple in a, in a month's time that's going to that is brilliant. That's fantastic. Both The House and Baywatch and Rough Night and you know it's not been a good year for comedy. Uh, and it struck, struck me that the funniest films this year have not been comedies. Guardians 2 is hilarious. Wonder Woman has got really, really funny moments in it. Um, Logan was a laugh fest. Um, <laughs> and this movie legitimately has some amazingly funny moments in it. But also, it's heartwarming. And you really get this—you really get a sense of Peter Parker in this yeah. one as a, as, a, as a kid, as a, a human being. And does it feel new? Does it feel like a different Spider-Man movie? No, but it's it's a really good one. It's a really it's a substantial upgrade on the Mark Webb ones. I, I think it does feel different, and I think the main reason it feels different is uh, Aunt May aside, the women are better. Yep. And I was thinking about this, like uh, you know, Kirsten Dunst, especially when you think back on it, that that character is dreadful. And, and the line <laughs> "I've always been standing in your doorway" is maybe the worst line in. I mean, it's right up there with "Is Aww. it still raining?" I hadn't noticed. I like that line. It's a terrible line, Chris. Oh, um, come on, because it's not true. Yeah, it's, she's true. been she's, off with she's like, every other guy in town. And she's in that alley sometimes, and sometimes she's in, like, in, down the shops. Like, yeah. She's not always standing there at all. This is true. Yeah. This is true. He would have noticed that. you think he would have noticed that. Yeah, especially exactly. with his spidey sense, because she's still there. She's still there. So, still but in there. this one, um, Laura Harrier is Liz, and uh, Zendaya is Michelle. Much more interesting, better characters. Uh, in fact, yeah. all the students uh, yeah. just feel like good characters. It feels like it would be a good high school music movie, even if he didn't. Or a musical. Or musical. Or musical. Even if he didn't put on a, a onesie. Yeah. 
I, yeah, I thought the Peter Parker stuff in this this movie was fantastic and uh, just really sweet and funny. And his his relationship with his best mate Ned in the movie. So Jacob Batalon is the uh, yeah. the actor playing him. Just really. Nice, nice little wrinkles that we hadn't really seen before in a, in a Spidey movie, uh, and the action's fine. Everything's fine. The Spider-Man stuff's good, and uh, I like the little MCU bolt-ons you get, not just from from Downey being in the movie, but from John Favreau, who is pitch perfect as Happy Hogan, uh, who's increasingly unhappy every time we see him <laughs> in the movie, uh, and little references and Easter eggs to the Avengers, which we'll be getting into in in the spoiler special. And uh, I had an absolute blast with it. I think it's it's probably for me my second favorite Spider-Man movie. And that is with the caveat that I haven't revisited Spider-Man Two for the because I have got the fear. I've got the fear with Spider-Man Two. I've I've just got the fear that I'm going to go back to it and. But you'll you know, realise how twee that world was and uh, how poorly cast Tobey Maguire is, <laughs> and how dreadful the special effects, which were already bad in 2004, are going to be now. Yeah, exactly. I've, I've got the fear. Yeah, I've, I've got the the fear big time, but. Uh, but for me, this this film this film rocks, and it feels real. It feels grounded. And I talked a little bit about John Watts to this. That you know, I love Sam Raimi, and I love him as a visualist, and I think he's fantastic, and I think he his style really merged well with Spider Man. Yeah. But there's something about this sort of sort of very matter of fact presentation of Spider Man here in this movie. You know, oh there he is. He's just he's just hanging out in the building. Oh, he's just walking around. There's no the camera moves aren't necessarily kinetic in this one. But I, I think it I think it really works. Loved it. Yeah. Good. Good, good, good. Four stars. And stay to the very end of the credits, of course. Yes, do do that. People disagree with that. People have said, I wish I hadn't stayed, and I could, I could not disagree more. I Pe- think that's one of the best ones. People think I'm trolling them by saying that, and I'm genuinely not. I love it. It's yeah, me fun. too. Yeah. Yes, I mean, it doesn't advance the plot, but... Yeah. That's super good, though. Pretty yeah. good. Oh, and the, the last line of the movie is probably my favourite last line in the Marvel movie. Let's hear it. I, so, can't, I can't say it. I can't, can't remember it. it. I can't say it. Uh, oh, no, it's, it's Tony Stark going, oh my God, my head has just fallen off. Oh my word. Oh, Who saw that coming? Oh, is that going to affect Avengers Infinity War? Oh, he's got no head. Uh, but there you go. Four stars then for Spider-Man Homecoming. Also out this week is the American horror film It Comes at Night by director Trey Edward Schultz. Johnny, you've seen this. I have seen it, much did, to your surprise. Did you Did you fall asleep in it? Were you okay? No, it was fine. Okay, good, good, good. Tell us about it. Um, it's uh, set after um, some sort of virus or something has uh, attacked the American and presumably the world population and people are living in huts in the forest and you know it's very much like the road you don't know who you can trust you don't know if someone is friends or foe and probably foe to be honest so there's a family of three people who are living in a house and at one point uh, another man comes along and starts to break into their house they chat to him Mm-hmm. After tying him to a tree and uh, submit him to all manner of torture, and decide that we can trust this guy, and they bring his family, who are far away, into the house, and then there's an uneasy truce as they exist in this house together mm-hmm. with all manner of problems and unknowns in the woods around them. And ooh, tension, right? Ooh, <laughs> tension. The scene is set for scariness. It's being sold. Sorry, did you ask me a question? I didn't hear. Yeah, the scene is set for scariness. The scene is very much set for scariness. Um, it's being sold as a, like a proper horror film, but it's not really like that. It's more about you know the the unease and the mistrust, and it's uh, quite a human drama in terms of how would you react in that situation. There aren't really that many scares. Certainly, the title is a bit of a misnomer because it suggests that you know daytime 
oh, we're all happy and fine, but yeah. you know, creatures will come. And, but it's like an no, I am legend sort of a thing. Yeah, almost. it's absolutely not like that. It's like the constant gardener. That was that was lying as well. Never ending story. Another lie. It comes at night. A lie. But you know. <laughs> but uh, all good. You 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 recommend? I do recommend. It's um, full attention and has a. Uh, you're just sitting there and you just have this sense of dread and unease through uh, through so much of it. And is that a fun experience? It's hard to say, really. <laughs> is that a recommendation? It's a bit like bringing a dog to a screen and then seeing me next to it. Uh, exactly like that. What's going to happen? It was, so while I didn't enjoy the experience, I recommend the film if you enjoy, if you like being unhappy. <laughs> wow. Okay. So um, what you're saying is it's effective in its, you know, tension and interpersonal drama. I am that. I am saying that. So I don't I mean, so do people like being scared? Do people like, I don't know, maybe they do, but I don't. But it's very good at what it does. All right. <laughs> That's an amazing poster quote. Watch it if you like being unhappy. Uh, fantastic. So four stars in for It Comes at Night. We did. We um, four stars, yeah. And we get four stars this week also to the return of, the, of Terrence Malick. This has um, been held over for some time in this country. It came out in the States a, a few months ago. Song to Song, which stars the likes of Michael Fassbender and Natalie Portman and Rooney Mara and Ryan Gosling. It's just hideous to look at. I can't even imagine what that film is like to look at. I haven't seen it myself yet. Um, has anyone here seen it yet? Not yet. I'm usually a Malick fan now, so I yeah. will give it a go. Uh, Ian Freer saw it yeah. uh, for us, and he is something of a Malick fan, uh, mm-hmm. like Helen is, And he, but he said it's far more agreeable than more than other recent Malicks. Yes, that is... Good. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that, uh, that, that some people feel that Terrence Malick's in a bit of a rut, creatively speaking, and this movie was certainly shot uh, a fair amount of time ago and it took him a while to get it together uh, but I'm glad to see that it's four stars and uh, is a, a a lovely meandering um, mosh to paraphrase Ian's uh, <laughs> Ian's review lots of great music and lots of movie stars doing cute things he says so I'm excited about it but I think it's getting a limited release this week but I imagine it'll pop up on VOD soon enough so there you go four stars for Song to Song four stars for It Comes at Night Four stars for Spider-Man Homecoming. I can't pick a movie of the week from that. Okay, I will. It's Spider-Man Homecoming. But uh, but what? hey, that's, hey. That's the last thing I would have expected from you. From a man wearing a Captain America t-shirt <laughs> and Kevin Feige underpants, then yes, I've done it. And that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more formulated fun. We'll be joined by, I hope, that bloke Army Hammer again. Right. Yeah, so it'll be him. And then we have the director of Cars 3, Brian Fee. So that's exciting. Of course, if you like what you hear from our sporter specials, you'd be delighted to know that there's a whole bunch available right now. We have a Baby Driver sporter special with Edgar Wright uh, for your listening pleasure. Uh, We have Spider-Man Homecoming, which will be out next week, Monday or Tuesday. And then we're going to have a War for the Planet of the Apes border special with uh, Matt Reeves and Andy Serkis as well, which will be out around the 17th or 18th of July. So all very, very exciting. Do keep an ear, uh, an ear peeled for those. Do people peel ears? I don't know. Uh, but until those glorious days, it is goodbye from Johnny. Goodbye. Sorry, I wasn't expecting. I, was gonna, I thought I was going next. Really? Helen. Yeah, sorry. I was. Uh, no, that's fine. Can I say uh, that again? Yeah, no, I like I say you. goodbye again? Yeah, of course. It's goodbye from Johnny. Goodbye. Yeah, that was much better. Uh, it's goodbye from Helen. Goodbye. 
And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to Goodless Cinema and Stroke Your Dog. What a time to be alive. Glorious. This is the Dog Whisper. Signing off. See you next week. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. 